guys not only sound good, but you look good this morning as well for Christmas. Well done. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourselves? Good. As, uh, as David prayed, we have been in a series on waiting. We've been thinking about this idea that generally our culture doesn't really like to wait. We as people don't like to wait. But we've been asking the question, is there value in waiting? I think we find that yes, God in unique ways works in times of waiting. And what we wait for matters. So I was thinking about um, this question. What is the best thing I've ever waited for? What's the best thing that you have ever waited for? Would you ask that question just for a moment? I, I thought if I didn't spiritualize it, if I didn't give a, a Christian answer like Jesus... Or, or the spirit, or the kingdom, right? My, my three go-to. Um, then what would be the best thing I ever waited for? And I was thinking it would have to be my children to be born, right? So where you're, you're filled with that anticipation in most instances, right? Where there's excitement, and it's an active waiting, right? You're not just kind of sitting there twiddling your thumbs, but, but there's an active, I, you know, 20 years ago we did Lamaze classes. I don't know if, do we still do Lamaze classes or is it something different? Uh, um, and then, and then we're, we're building stuff like cribs and, and cradles, putting those things together. There's, a, there's an active wait. <clears throat> and then when the child comes, you almost realize right away that a big part of parenting is waiting, isn't it? I, I mean, the waiting is not done after the birth of the child, no? Yeah, I mean, when, when Luke, our firstborn, was born, I, I almost more figuratively, I, I had a football on my hand. I was ready to play ball. But then he just sat there. It was like, come on, right? I had to... I had to wait for some motor skills to develop, you know, walk before he actually threw the football, right? So, and then, and then you bring them to the activities and you, and as a parent, you wait, don't you, right? I was thinking of baseball and just waiting, waiting, sometimes in agony, waiting, right? And then they, and then they become teenagers and you know what you wait for in their teenage years, for their brains to be fully formed because there's just some missing gaps and they think they know it all and all that. We're, we're still waiting, right? Um, and I was thinking that, that by and large, there's been so much satisfaction in the waiting and, and it's still happening, still working. I was thinking that there is the ability, not in every instance, but in most instances, we can choose what we wait for. Like I was thinking that when um, I was talking with my wife Kendra about this, we, I couldn't remember, I, I don't remember Black Friday being a thing when we grew up. Right? I, I remember somewhere, I, I don't know what year, but all of a sudden stores started being open for 24 hours and you could wait in line and, and then, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning finally get in and save that. So I think there was one time that I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll try this Black Friday and save, you know, and we waited till wee hours in the morning and came back and the, the next day was pretty much shot because we, you know, we were, you know, saved a couple bucks, but we're tired and, and I thought, that's the last time I wait. And that I'm not gonna there that wasn't value enough to wait for me. I'm going to choose to wait for other things of greater significance and greater payoff, right? Whether relationally or spiritually or so forth. I was thinking in this this morning, I wanted to talk to you about three things 
that I think are worthwhile to wait for. We've been talking about, like, for example, the wisdom of God, very worthwhile to wait for. We're going to look at three stories of people that, in essence, were waiting, that part of their lives were defined by what they were waiting for. And as I was reflecting on these three stories, one is a Christmas story, one is a story from the life of Christ, and one is from the Easter story. Is it okay we bring in a little Easter into the Christmas, yes? So, so all of these three stories that they, I think, teach us a little bit about waiting well and teach us about the things that are worth waiting for. That even after Christmas, that our lives could be shaped and influenced and molded by the things these three stories represent, the people in these stories are waiting for. So they're all in the Gospel of Luke. If you've brought your Bibles, turn. Our first one, we're going to pick up the story. A couple weeks ago, we looked at when uh, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. They're brought in, and uh, they, they, uh, he's being uh, circumcised, and they're fulfilling the law of Moses in a number of ways. They come to Simeon. We talked about Simeon, who is waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort, for God to comfort Israel, minister. Well, we talked a little bit about a prophetess who was also there, Anna. But I wanted to pick up that story. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And it says, oh, no, I, verse 36. Uh, I think so. Boy, that's, there we go. And it says, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow, and she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Just those few verses in there about the prophetess Anna. And she, and she sees the child, and she begins to, uh, in a prophetic way, pronounce who this child is, especially, did you notice who her audience was? Those who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Now, I, I think Anna is this neat picture story. Some would consider her, in church language, the first mystic, right? Where she lets go of, of so much in life and just pursues the things of God. In fact, from a worldly perspective, one could argue that she lived a sad life. Right, that she, she was married for seven years, and then, especially in her culture, when you experienced loss and pain or struggle, oftentimes you were looked down upon as if God had something against you and was punishing you. We're assuming that she had no children, again, in her culture, that was perceived as, a, as a, uh, being abandoned by God in some senses. So from a worldly perspective, you could see the prophetess Anna as a sad story. And yet, there's a beautiful aspect of who she was. She didn't see herself abandoned by God, but in fact, she abandoned herself to God. 
And that made all the difference in the world. From a godly perspective, from a biblical perspective, it was not a a sad life, but a beautiful life. A life used by God and a life well lived. Some of you know that I am a want-to-be modern-day mystic. I I would love to have and abandon and live in some of those rhythms that, that Anna in these few verses demonstrates to us, a life of worship, a, a life of prayer, a life of commitment. I was thinking about how in Christmas time that oftentimes our lives, it seems like, sadness can spike for many of us, yes? For those of us who've experienced loss, who are struggling relationally, there's a spike for many of us. Uh, Depression spikes. Unfortunately, uh, suicides spike in this season. And oftentimes, we experience this season from a worldly perspective. What if we learned from Anna to not feel that sense of abandonment from God, but abandon ourselves to God, especially in this season? What would it look like if rather than we give ourselves over to the sadness, which is a temptation, especially in the Christmas season, if we gave our sadness over to God? What if we learned from Anna a way rather than living lives of lament, but we lived lives of adoration and love of God and let him minister directly in those deep places. Thank you, brother. It was a a turning point for me when I realized God's continual invitation was that each day I would live a little bit less self-centered and more God-centered. I believe that's the heart of a mystic. That's the the heart that God's trying to bring that focus that we would set our hearts not on the things the world says we should set our hearts, whether good or bad, but we set our hearts on him. You know, many consider it not only Anna the first mystic, but also the first evangelist. Look at verse 38. It says, She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So she, the, she hadn't seen any sweet miracles by Jesus yet. She, she hadn't heard any of his brilliant teaching yet. Right? She, and perhaps she never did. I, you know, it would be 30 years later and we don't hear from her. But she sees this child and because of her life and because of her faith, she sees the child and begins to tell people. And what was Anna waiting for, by the way? We're told. She was waiting for Redemption. She was waiting for redemption. Would you think with me for a moment about that word? What does that mean that she was speaking to people who were waiting for the redemption of Israel? Redemption defined is, is the regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. It's a, it's a clearing the debt so you can get back something. 
think about it in a physical sense, where um, let's say you can't, ends aren't meeting and you're not making payments on a car, for example, right? What happens when you can't make payments on a car? It's repossessed, right? It, it's taken, right, to some place. Um, and then let's say you come into uh, uh, financial blessing and you're able to get that car back. You get, uh, Stores used to have redemption centers. Did you know that? That you could put things on layaway and you could go to redemption centers, right? You put it on layaway and then you pay the money and you get a refrigerator or whatever that is. But you, you go to a place and, and the car that was lost, the car that you couldn't make the payments on, you, you give the money and you redeem that car. You're brought, you buy something back. Jesus comes and they're at the temple and Anna goes, redemption. The price is paid. The life that was lost because of your sin, what you're missing, all who are waiting for the consolation of Israel, all that were waiting to be redeemed, all that recognize that there's been a loss, a difficulty, that, that are waiting for the redemption of their lives and their nation, their hope. Anna recognizes redemption in that child. How beautiful would it be for us to be waiting for redemption? I was thinking about, am I like Anna this Advent season? I've waited for redemption. I've received redemption. Am I sharing about the Christ with others who have not received his redemption yet? Thinking of the, the, the verse from the Apostle Paul, he's saying, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's saying that the enemy is at work in those people who do not recognize redemption. You might see the lights of Christmas. We might see all the beauty of Christmas. And yet, the enemy is working overtime in particular to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel. And Anna was perhaps the first or one of the first that was saying to people, do you realize this Christ child is the redemption? You don't have to buy back the life that was lost. He paid for it. I want to join Anna in waiting for redemption in praying against the work of the enemy in this Advent season. I want to join Anna in sharing about the redemption of the Christ child. I think redemption is worth waiting for actively. Okay, next story. If you flip a few pages over from, uh, from Luke chapter 2, go all the way to, to Luke 17, and this is from the life of Christ. And um, we are told about a group of religious leaders, Pharisees, and they were asking 
Jesus about the kingdom of God. Right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And so one sense, again, they're waiting for the consolation of Israel. They're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They're waiting for the kingdom of God. And they ask Jesus, maybe they were getting impatient. And they ask Jesus, and this comes from Luke 17, verse 20. It says, once on being asked by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now it's interesting to, to, to think about I want to suggest that this group of religious leaders were waiting for the right thing, but in the wrong way. See, what was Jesus trying to communicate to them? He was redirecting them. It's interesting, there's a, a difference in translation and I think both translations help us understand a little bit more of what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders and what he's saying to you and I this morning. That, that one way to, to translate is, just as it's uh, written up there, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What he was saying is, do you realize what you're waiting for is here right now? It's present. I don't think that Jesus wanted them to stop waiting for the kingdom of God, right? It's present. It's good. But he was saying a, a crucial aspect that you're, you're saying you're waiting and you have all this energy and time and focus on waiting and it's sitting right in front of you. Jesus had brought the kingdom. That's why we, we talk about the, the already and not yet nature of the kingdom. It's, it's here. It's present. And yet, I think Jesus was communicating something else that's crucial for us. Is you can also, I think it's a better translation. Says, because the kingdom of God is within you. A better translation. Because... What the religious leaders were doing is they were looking completely on the outside of their lives for the kingdom of God. They were looking for a geopolitical kingdom. They were looking for, for swords and revolution and horses. They were looking for battle and army. And Jesus in part, was also saying, don't you realize what you're looking for begins here. You're missing it. You're missing what God is doing here. I think he was trying to move them to, to wait. Yes, for transformation, but first and foremost, not of their political system and nation, but transformation of their heart, of, of how God is working within them. I was thinking, most of us are not looking for a geopolitical kingdom, right, today. How does that apply? But I'd say part of human nature is that we look outward for things to change rather than inward. We look for other people to change. <laughs> when we wonder what's wrong with the world, where do we look? We don't look within most of the time, right? We look outward, and there's a tendency that we all take, for example, again in the Christmas season, Many of us are going to hang with family or have already hung with extended family. 
And oftentimes there's issues. There's struggle. There's pain, right? People have done stuff and there's strife, right? Now, I know that none of you have done any of that stuff. It's all your relatives, right, that have created the issues for Advent, right? And so when we look at these issues, what do we go? Well, yeah, it's Christmas and I could apologize, but they have to make the first move because they're the ones who are wrong, right? Yes? Boy, you guys are quiet. It's interesting how quiet you are. I think the, the religious leaders were looking at all the wrong in their world. And they were looking all at the outside things. And Jesus is saying that, that what you are waiting for, this, this restoration, this transformation, yes, wait for that. But you're looking in the wrong place. It begins within you. He was trying to communicate the transformation of God. Back then, and I would say today, in the here and now, is the transformation of our hearts and our souls. I was thinking about the verse brought up last week, verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Boy, that has Christmas application, doesn't it? He goes on in those verses and he says this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If we really believe those verses, where do we need to focus on transformation? You see, this verse, I believe it's a better translation, is because it connects with Jesus' continuous focus on the interior kingdom and our interior worlds. Luke 12, 29, he says this, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. That's outward stuff. Do not worry about it. What you set your heart on is what matters. What your heart is set on in this moment matters. Think deeply about what you set your heart on. Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, look inward. You're looking for transformation. You're lamenting the struggle and the pain of this world. The first place is to look at the heart. Speaking of family, there was a little bit of angst that happened in my extended family about a, a week ago. So you know, about 12 or, or 15 of us on a group text. And, um, you know, we're mostly Bears fans, but there's been some marriages that have happened and the worst possible scenario has taken place. Green Bay Packer fans have entered. Sit down. <laughs> it's a deep sense of betrayal. I, that's all. So anyways, the, the Bears, unfortunately, played the Packers last Sunday. Looked horrible. So we're bantering back and forth. You know, my brother saying Aaron Rodgers smells like cheese. All that stuff. We, they're going to win, right? So we have to come up with some stuff, you know? So we're just bantering back and forth. Well, not only is there diversity in our allegiance to football teams, but there's also divergence in pol politics, right? 
And so most of you know I'm pretty much of an independent and a centrist, but within my extended family, you have extreme Republicans and Democrats, right? So one of them, I won't mention which side, interjects in the midst of the football bantering politics. So they're going back and forth and back and forth, back and forth, and I won't um, try my best to avoid the party and the side, don't try and guess, but one of the bantering, which I usually stay out of because it never goes well, right? They just said, well, this party really is the one with all the Christian principles. So I just couldn't resist, right? I just, the bears were losing. I just, maybe I, you know, if I would have had a better focus. And I just said, you know, I think it's important to be mindful that there's Christian principles in both parties. And there's also wrong things in both parties. So one of my extended family members happens to be a Packers fan, but that really doesn't matter anything. She, she said, oh, you're in Colorado, you must be smoking something. Now, I could have, you know, simply chalked it up to being a Packers fan. And then I, I just decided to hold off on my thumbs, right? And I thought about this for a moment. And I thought two things. I thought, this is a unique opportunity to God, for God to work in me. Right? I felt a little bit of slight, you know. Kendra and Luke, they were a little bothered by the comment, you know. And I felt that, and... And I was like, what does God want to do in me? Is there, am I going to respond from a, a, an unhealthy place, right? And with the bears losing, the temptation was increasing in that, right? What did he want to do? And then I also thought about, you know, what I really care about this family member, these two, that that they would have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's what I really care about. And if, you know, I'm that kind of representative in the family, and I respond with some snarky or hurtful response, right? That's not going to bode well. And so I, I did my best to, to kind of graciously say, hey, you know, there's a, directed them to a, a, a source that they value. I'm going to try not to get into the source, but the source. And I said, even this source that you value so much, they recognize that, that Christianity is not just in one party or the other. There's both, and we have to discern. And I didn't throw any snarky comment, so forth. That was kind of the end of the conversation. I felt good about that. And, and here's why I bring that up is because I, I'm convinced that many of my extended family members are looking to outward things for the renewal of this world. They're looking to politics for the renewal of this world. Politics can be a great thing. It can be. They look to education for the renewal of this world. Education is a good thing, right? But my desire is that, especially in this Christmas season, we, we hitch ourselves to the work of Christ in our lives and in the lives of others. That part of Christmas is the elevation of the work of God in this world. And, and it really is the demotion of everything else in this world, right? That we need to link our hopes on the work of God and the kingdom of God. 
That was my hope for my extended family, my hope for you, my hope for myself. That we would wait for the transformation of this world, but we would continually begin here. This never ends, right? It doesn't matter if you're 84 years old or 94 years old, that this never ends. That God is continuing to work. Okay, third story. Third story is the Easter story, and it comes, involves uh, Joseph. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you have them, to, to Luke chapter 23. And this is the, the least known Joseph. You've got a couple of Josephs in Scripture, right? The, uh, the patriarch in the Old Testament, the famous Joseph, uh, in Egypt and all of that. Then, of course, you have Joseph, the, uh, uh, the father of Christ, uh, husband of Mary. But this is the Easter story, so it's a different Joseph. and We don't talk about him that much. Joseph of Arimathea. And he actually was a religious leader, a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He was part of the council. And all four Gospels mention Joseph of Arimathea. It's after Jesus is arrested, mainly by the religious leaders. He's crucified on the cross, and he dies. And think about it. All hope had been dashed. The religious leaders had won. And then we pick up the story in verse 50. In Luke 23, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, religious council, that really orchestrated and was influential in the death, the, the crucifixion of Christ. He's a member of the council, a good and upright man who was, had not consented to their decision and action to crucify Christ. He came from Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting. What was he waiting for? The kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw that the tomb, saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath and in obedience to the commandments. What I love about the story of Joseph of Arimathea is the timing of his sacred action. That we're, we're told in another gospel, I think Gospel of John, that he had become a secret disciple of Jesus because he knew that, uh, that his whole life as a, as a counsel was at risk. And at this very moment when Jesus' body is on the cross, when the religious leaders had won, they were saying, you see, we were right. He was not the Messiah that we were hoping for. When faith in him was misplaced and wrong at just that moment, when Joseph had everything to lose, When, when, when the disciples, the apostles that were out and known, they were run, running and scared. And Joseph, he goes to Pilate and he aligns Jesus, his life with Jesus at the hardest moment. The faith of that. The belief of that. And he, there's tenderness, I, I think, in, in the story 
of how he takes the body with Nicodemus and, and puts him in the tomb. And I was wondering about the story and its significance for us today. How, how Joseph didn't know that this tomb would be transformed from a symbol of death to a symbol of victory and new life. That, that Joseph didn't know that Jesus was the answer to his waiting for the kingdom of God. That, that Joseph, even though everyone would have been saying, if they knew he was a secret disciple, they would have said, you've missed it. it. Wrong Messiah. Somehow, Joseph had the faith. I thought, do we miss it today in any way? I, I think his waiting for the kingdom of God was really about the Messiah, the role of the Messiah in the world and our lives. And I would say today, we can miss it if we only remember the first advent of Christ. If Christmas is only about the traditions that we grew up with, if, if, if Christmas is only remembering the incarnation, as beautiful and as wonderful as those traditions can be, if Christmas, if this Christmas is only about the remembering of Jesus coming to the earth, then I think that we will miss a huge part of what God is doing today. I was thinking, looking for his advent in the present as well. We, we brought this, we used this chart in the end time series. If you remember this, that really advent is connected to the idea of, of coming, arrival. That's why we're talking about waiting. And so you have Christmas is the first advent. Jesus comes as a baby. Second advent, the promised advent is, is when he comes as a reigning king to bring judgment to the world. And we talked about that Christian life well lived today. The kingdom life is not only remembering the first advent, but looking forward to the promise of Christ's return. But I want to suggest something. If we only do that, we still could potentially miss what God is doing. It's not enough that we look back and remember the first advent. It's not enough that we have faith in the second advent. But right now in the present, there are advents we're told by the Spirit of God, His presence, His power is at work in our lives today. His work is happening. He's moving. He's shaking. He's stirring. He's speaking out to us today. And if we're only remembering, as valuable as that is, if we're only looking forward to, as valuable as that is, we're going to miss the advent today. Amen. And I don't want to miss his voice today. I don't want to miss how he's stirring today. If he's working in my extended family and he gives me an opportunity, I want to step into that today. If he's working in our neighbor's life, I want to step into that today. If he's working in my, my kid's life, I want to recognize that and see that. 
and connect my life to his present advent. Yes? Even when I don't get it, even when I don't understand all that, do I understand what he was doing in that conversation with the, my, my extended family? Not fully, but I'm going to do my best, even when I don't get it, because I don't want to miss it. I'm going to step into those moments in life that God is working, and by his grace, join him in this work. Yes? By the way, I told Natalie to put the present a little bit closer to the second advent because I really hope <laughs> we're not at 2,000 years away, okay? So friends, part of the series is, is really saying, you know, Wednesday we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. Does the waiting end after Christmas. It shouldn't. Just like when Luke was born, in, in one sense, the waiting was only beginning. Yeah. And yet it was worth it. It was beautiful. I'd do that all over again. And, and I, I wouldn't want to miss all of those precious moments in his life, his life to come. And I don't want to miss the precious moment of God working. I want my, I would love it if my life were defined by waiting for the things that really matter, by waiting for redemption, by waiting for transformation, by waiting for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. We just take a, a moment, silence and quiet is such a scarce commodity today, especially in the Christmas season. Let me just take a moment. Is there a particular story that you personally really connect with? Maybe it's Anna, and you long, you long to be that person in the midst of your life, whether family or work, you long to be that person who abandons yourself to God in prayer and in worship. You know, you get to ask for that. He places those desires in your heart. You get to bring those to him. Do that right now. Maybe some of us connect with the religious leaders. Maybe we are religious leaders today. And we've fallen in the trap of looking completely outward and missing the heart transformation within. You can bring those things to him. Or maybe connect with Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe you don't get fully the kingdom of God and how he's working, but you, 
you long to be present with him, his work today. Just take a moment. He's leading you to pray just between you and him. What's he inviting you? What's the desires of the heart that he's placed in your heart? And he wants you to bring that back to him. That's how it works. And together, I just want to encourage you if before you leave today, just find that person and share with them what you heard the Lord was saying to you this morning. Would that be okay? It can be a, 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 a spouse or it can be a friend, it can be a child, maybe a stranger. You don't have to overshare, just, right? But share a little bit about what God is doing and saying to you what you're thinking about this Christmas. Just take a risk, go a little bit deeper than Merry Christmas, okay? And then if you want to be prayed for, we have some folks that would love uh, to pray for you. Would you hold your hands open? So Lord, I pray that we would be a people who wait well, who wait for the things that matter. Would be, we be a people that are, are caught waiting for your redemption, waiting for your transformation, waiting for your kingdom and the restoration of all things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We will see you Christmas Eve. God bless you.